Except there are monsters out there. Monsters in human clothes, he thought. The splash of the water against the stirrup soothed him, and he forgot for a moment where he was and that he was being hunted. I could live on the water, he thought. Enjoying the stars, Sailor said behind him, interrupting his thoughts. Yes, he said. Stars are much more pleasant. You cannot get burned by them, he said, thinking of the Tanin. Sailor chuckled, but stars can hit and fall, or so I've heard. Thornbjorn considered this for a moment, that a possibly the star falling on his head. I thought that would be impossible. A friend's cousin says that his brother met with a king and was starstruck. It literally hit him in the head. Selenor knocked his head with his fist, just like that. Thornbjorn doubted Selenor's story about a star striking someone on the head, but he shrugged, unwilling to argue. You see many oddities on the sea, more than those that live on land. I can imagine. I'm sure you have many good stories. I believe there are people who would like to hear them, he said politely. Maybe you should write them down. He considered this proposition. I don't think anyone would like to hear about my adventures, he said. Besides, it would be a very long book. Our stories make us who we are, Thornbjorn said. Think of his own story. Maybe, he shrugged, then added. There are many creatures to encounter on the open sea. Have you ever encountered a cool serpent? Thornbjorn asked, curious. Sadly, yes, Selenor said, patting the large hook that was tied on his side where another man might carry a sword. This is a precaution. He was a great big beast at that. I hope to never run into one of that size again as long as I live. He eyed the makeshift weapon. A hook? Selenor looked offended. Not just a hook. The hook is so I can entrap it with the sharp edge, hold on to it, and then kill it with this. Selenor pulled out a short, narrow blade that shone in the starlight. Ah, an interesting strategy, Thornbjorn said. Selenor rolled his eyes, shoving the blade into its sheath. Do you have a better way? Thornbjorn pulled out his icicle-shaped sword from his side. A big piece of metal, Selenor said, amused. Swordsman, he said, laughing. Not just a sword, Thornbjorn replied. It's in a cool blade of wolfsbane. He held it out to allow the captain to examine it closely. So a big piece of magical metal, Selenor said and chuckled. Thornbjorn sheathed his sword, aware he would not get praise from the captain. Well, your way is probably best on the open sea. If they come to land, the occult blade is more adapt. The captain agreed. Where are you from? Thornbjorn asked. You know where I'm from. I'd like to know your home. Jaden, to the south. But I have not returned there for many years. Water splashed in the darkness. Thornbjorn turned towards the sound. There are no serpents here, Selenor said while, with amusement. Probably just the fish jumping. Thornbjorn chuckled. I guess I'm on edge, considering we were just talking about them. Wait. Selenor looked hard into the darkness. Thornbjorn rolled his eyes. Don't mess with me. Selenor looked around quickly. How can you even see in the pitch black? Thornbjorn said, squinting into the darkness, so feeling a little foolish. Get down below deck now, the captain said, opening the door to the lower deck. What is it? He asked foolishly. Something is flying over to us, Selenor said. Thornbjorn glanced up quickly. If you need me, I'll be watching through the holes in the wood. It will be fine, Selenor said, and shut the door quietly. A heavy thud sounded behind him. Who's down there? A voice answered and called. Selenor turned slowly. An easily frightened ship hand, Selenor said. He is not a fan of things dropping in out of the night sky. Thornbjorn fumed as he watched. The man who appeared out of the darkness was heavier than the captain, with the protruding belly of a well-fed indolent. He had a clean-shaven face and short, dark hair. What is your business here? The captain asked. Nothing in particular. Just interested to know why a lone ship is heading toward the northern wildernesses, or Wolf's Bane, perhaps? 
The captain remained calm and folded his arms, a tight smile on his face. I hear the ice is good this time of year. The man looked annoyed. Ice is always cold, and that barren wasteland of a kingdom never changes seasons. It's too cold even for birds to dwell there, and you're headed there not why. Sailor smirked. Don't tell me it's to go ice fishing either, the man said sneering. Wouldn't you like to know? A master of philosophy, I see. The man fumed for a moment, then tried another tactic. Who is below deck? Most of my crew. I'm sure that many of them are sleeping as it is nighttime. Selenor, do not go smart with me, the man said, an edge to his voice. I am merely answering your questions at the level at which they are delivered, Selenor said, stroking his beard. The man's eyes illuminated, casting a glow on the darkness of the ocean. There is no need for that. If you wish to check, you're welcome. I have nothing to hide, Selenor said, waving his hand toward the doorway that led below deck. The light in the man's eyes extinguished. I am only guilty of smuggling items of Wolfsbane. The man looked at him angry and took a deep breath to compose himself. Then why so secretive? You've smuggled a lot to our own benefit, but you really should mind your manners. The man turned as if leaving, then added, You're lucky it was not another who found you. I consider myself lucky, he responded. Selenor untied a coin purse from his side and threw it to the man. I have nothing to hide, but take this so we can avoid awkward meetings in the future. The man looked at the coins hungrily and grinned with satisfaction. This is why I tolerate your rude remarks. Selenor lifted a finger. Men often tolerate a lot for coin. Yes, well, I'll leave you to your damp piece of driftwood. With a quick movement, the man disappeared. Taylor shook his head. He always has to get the final word, he said to himself. Thornbjorn cautiously opened the door. Come on up, it's safe, the captain called in. Thornbjorn climbed out of the entrance. Who was that? That was a slimy state known as Velas, he snorted. Is he an Ashenborn? Yes and no. Velas is Ashenborn by transformation only. He shares no other qualities with nobi their nobility. Velez has his own dealings for his own gain. Why do you speak so boldly to him? He asked, and then hesitated. I mean no offense, but he could have killed you if you wished to. The captain smiled a crooked grin. And kill a smuggler that he deals with? No. Velez would not wish a deuce without his coin. He enjoys his delicacies. You should have seen his belly. Velez often will not search a ship if I tell him he can. He has an odd distrust of me, but he tolerates me. The coin I give him helps. I see. I didn't realize I was on a smuggler's ship until now, he said, looking at the captain appraisingly. He shrugged. There are more evil things out there besides this smuggler's helping you to get home. I'm smuggling you. I didn't say I was ungrateful you didn't give me up. Selenor tugged at the other coin purse hanging at his side. You gave me coin. I do not betray the highest bidder, he winked mischievously. Ah, he said, unsure if he was joking. We should be within the ice of Wolfsbane by the mid of tomorrow. Thornbjorn knew what that meant, as the water around the land mass of Wolfsbane had been frozen for thousands of years. Its thickness could not be broken by ship or man. His people often hunted the frozen tundra, for most animals frequented at a place for food. I will go alone from here. I had no intentions of leaving the ship, the captain said, and Thornbjorn snorted. Well, not expect an outsider to be able to handle the harsh trip to the ice walls. You mean to offend me, but I take no offense. A fish knows it's best at being in the water, and my presence is in the water. Selenor said, shrugging, a fish will not be so excited to be in a frozen water or frozen lake. I see your point. Only those with ice in their veins can make the journey anyways, Thornborn said. The captain looked at him mutely. It's not literal, it's just a saying among our people. He laughed. Does Jaden not have any of these sayings? He shrugged again. I guess you would have to be a royal bird to know something of such depth. Being a simple boat captain, I don't have that benefit. Thornbjorn huffed and shook his head. I'll be glad to be home, he muttered. Sonora walked away with a chuckle.
The body drifted down the river. Damus spotted it just as a large purple dragon flew away from the forest. For a few minutes, he watched from the shelter of the woods, watching to see if the area had cleared up to Nimes. He made a note of the direction they had gone, so as to track them later. He ran to the bank and approached the body of Kordok, which had become entangled in plants growing along the river. Damus' eyes filled with tears, and he placed his hands under Kordok's shoulders and dragged him out of the frigid water. Kordok's eyes flickered, and he let out a small noise. His breathing labored. He choked as he coughed up water. You're alive, he said, relieved. He adjusted his grip, picked up Kordok up, and trudged into the forest as quickly as he could. Where's Salafiel, he asked, but Kordok had slipped back into unconsciousness. From the safety of the forest, they must watch as the purple dragon flew from the river. It landed not far from where Kordok had been trapped in the weeds. The dragon breathed in, its eyes scanning the area. Suddenly, it flew into the air without a sound, the lizard-like form disappearing after a moment, disappearing into the distance with just a few flaps of its enormous wings. They must breathe a sigh of relief. That was close, he muttered to himself. He examined his wounds and noted that they were not fatal to Kordok. Deimos had been prepared to administer life-saving herbs, but he decided it was more important to get Kordok away from the river. He wrapped Kordok's neck wound and a few less serious wounds on his arm. Gently lifting Kordok, he walked deeper into the forest, heading towards a trail he had marked. He had been following the brothers for some time, and he had struggled to catch them. He had been sent ahead to guard the princes to make sure that no Tanemian reached them, but he hadn't found them in time. I shouldn't have taken my eyes off them, he chastised himself. He looked back over his shoulder, agonized at the thought of not being able to chase after Slothiel immediately. He planned to drop Kordok in a local Kordok off in a local village with a trusted friend, then go after the other prince, Slothiel. He quickened his pray, pace, checking Kordok's comfort and stability as he walked. After walking what felt like leagues, he gently placed Kordok on a soft patch of pine needles. Kordok groaned a little. They must watch him curiously, drinking from a flask. Tied up near them was a brown horse which snorted. When Damus arrived, a girl, he said, patting the side of its neck. He lifted Kordok onto the horse, making sure he was secured in the front. He spurred the horse into a gallop. The prince continued to groan. We'll be there soon. Seh, Kordok murmured over, only half-conscious. Salafiel, Damus, Damus finished. His thoughts raced. Salafiel, he knew, had been taken. Even though he'd wanted to fight those monsters, he knew that he, Salafiel, and Kordok would all have died in the engagement. Knowing Kordok, he will curse me for saving him instead of his brother, he muttered to himself. Malfate still needed no life-spell situation, and Damos knew that time was of the essence. His eyes fell back to Kordok. It has to start with saving you. He gritted his teeth. Salafiel, I will find you, Damos whispered a promise. After a time, a small village came into view, and he re reined his horse on the outer-lying hut. An elderly woman greeted him from the doorway. I need bandages and care for this man. I can pay, Damos said, throwing her a purse of gold coins. The old woman caught it and looked at him, a questioning look on his face, or her face. I cannot stay, Damos took Kordok into the woman's dwelling and laid him gently on the bed. The covers were freshly folded as if the woman had been expecting a guest. I've heard from those I trust that you will take care of him, he said, his eyes narrowing. Do not make my friends liars. The woman nodded silently, and Damos left quickly, his horse's hooves throwing up a cloud of dust. The old woman looked around, stunned by the speed of his departure. She shrugged and rubbed her hands on the, her apron, tied around her waist, and turned her attention to the stranger who had just been left in her care. Damos followed the path of his eyes. His horse's nostrils flared as it sucked in air. Damos patted the neck of the laboring horse, only a little further. Damos knew that Sawfield could be anywhere. 
His first concern had been for Kordok, who had needed immediate attention, but he now was focused on Slothiel. I will not fail him, he said again, muttering under his breath and spurning his her horse on. Within a few moments, he arrived at the river. He dismounted and squatted beside his horse, examining claw marks left in the sand by the large dragon earlier. One set was deeper than the rest, and indicating where the dragon had taken flight. He pointed himself in that direction and remounted, shivering as he and his horse swam through the cold current. Mountain water, he muttered to himself. His horse whinnied as they traversed the river. He felt his horse tense and then relax as they came out of the cold river. Damus looked around carefully and spotted burned grass and foliage and what looked like blood. His stomach clenched. They're not really subtle, are they, those Tanemian, he said to himself. Tracks moved into the forest. He followed slowly, ever watchful of his surroundings. He passed an uprooted tree, still following the trail of destruction left by the Tanemes. He circled around bushes and trees, being careful not to miss a single detail. He knew he could see more if he took his time, even though he was desperate to move quickly. The tracks stopped suddenly. He searched the area, but couldn't find no traces of the horde of Tanemes. He reined in his horse and sat in place, pondering. A glint of gold caught his eye. He glimpsed a golden talon chain laying on the ground. He grabbed it, brushing it off dirt, and turned it around in his hands. Each talon was unique, and this one's crest belongs specifically to Salafiel. Whoever has him does not want him to be recognized, Amos said, stroking his horse's head. He tossed the talon around in his hand, thinking. He looked back to where he had found it. He could see nothing but leaves and briars. The wind changed directions, bringing a familiar stench to his nose. The smell of something dead. He looked around to discover a body sprawled on the ground, a little from him, partially hidden in another brush. He tied his horse to a tree and cautiously approached the form, a tanim. Its body was a husk and began shrinking as Deimos watched, dissolving into a puddle of dark, viscous liquid. Deimos squinted through the stench as he put his blade into the hissing liquid. He knew that finding one before it had completely disappeared was rare, and it would be reborn in its mysterious way. No one knew how, only that they never saw the last of these creatures. He poked and searched the area around the dissolving body, hearing the sound of metal on metal after a few minutes of prying. He lifted his blade to find a set of keys hanging from the tip. With a popping noise, the liquid ebbed away from his with a hiss, dissolving into smoke and steam. The remains were gone, leaving no trace of the former body. Deimos took the keys in his hand, noticing the different shapes in their metal arrangements. Keys like these were often meant to keep someone, something safe or locked away, Deimos knew. Deimos noted one long skeleton key, which he tied to his side. Struggling through the undergrowth beyond where the body had been, Deimos observed deep tracks made by something heavy and a long gouge between them as if something or someone had been pulled along the ground. He followed the tracks, but they ended to where the ground became rocky. A chain and key, he said. He found his way back to the horse, who was munching on weeds. I need to find out what lies around this village, he said, vexed. With a spurt of his heels, Damos got forward in a surge of energy. He had spent half the day searching, he noted, by the location of the sun. Too much time had been spent, but it was not in vain. The princes of Lysbear were not done just yet. The woman shakingly, but effectively wrapped his wounds, being careful not to cause him further pain. Kordok clamped his teeth together, biting down on an old piece of leather. She finished up throwing away scraps of bloody cloth and disposing of reddish water in a small pan. A small brown and white hound lounged on the rug near them, eyeing them lazily. It yawned and licked its nose before closing its eyes again. Ignore old Copper. He's just a good watchdog, but a very lazy one, she said, smiling at the dog fondly. Copper did not stir under his droopy ears. You are lucky, she said, turning her attention back to Kordok. Wounds like that would have killed most people, she said, nodding towards the van brace on the small table beside the bed. My name is Ruth, she added. 
He breathed in slowly. Would you help me to the fire, he asked, pointing. She huffed and shook her head. And rescue bleeding all over my floor, she said, exasperated. I've already had to clean several real tunics that I've put on you. Kordok shook up shakily, his hand bracing his wound. She gently pushed him back down. You must not move or I will tie you down. You are not as stubborn as I, nor should you try to be, she said in a tone of warning. Still, Kordok fought against her. Would you bring me a coal, he asked, wincing. Are you cold? Because I can bring you more blankets. No, the coal, please, he added. She shrugged and grabbed an iron ash shovel and forced glowing coals from the hearth into it. I do not understand why you would want me to do this, but here, she moved it close to him. Kordok reached out with his arm. The coals brightened a cherry red and sparks of fire encircled his arm. A blue light began to glow beneath his skin. Blue flecks of magic between the course through his bodies, through his body, finally stopping between the bandages in his skin. He sighed and lay still. Ruth looked on in awe, ignoring the shovel. As she stood stunned, the ashen coal fell from it, and the shovel clanked onto the ground and the wooden floor. She growled angrily, stamping on the glowing coal. She snatched up the shovel and went to grab a broom. Copper roused, tilting his head at the commotion before nodding back off. Kordok took a deep breath and rose easily. He removed the bandages, revealing smooth skin underneath. Ruth looked on, her eyes wide. He walked to the fire as more flames poured into the fragment. In all my years, I have never seen magic. To me, it was just stories, Ruth said. It makes one's own bandages seem useless when you can just heal wounds with a little magic like that. Kordok rubbed his forearms. I have known this all my life. Thank you for sharing my kindness. I am in your debt, Kordok said, turning towards her. You didn't know me, but you still treated me with kindness. Ruth grinned showing several missing teeth and pointed to the bag of money. The man gave me this, but I want you to take it with you, she said. Surely not. You need to be rewarded for your hospitality, he said. Ruth smiled and turned her head slowly from side to side. I do not need gold. I am content as I am. He opened his mouth to argue, but his fragments suddenly illuminated the room, signaling it had reached full strength. You got a lantern under your skin, she asked. Kordok snickered and considered it a moment. I guess you could say that. He laughed again, thinking it was something Salafiel might have said. Where am I? Clipper, Ruth said, a small village on the edge of the kingdom. Kordok knew where he was. Their father had made it a priority for them to know all within Yardir. You need rest, she said. You youngins are too determined to go, go, go. I must go. I need to find Damo, she said. I can, he said. I can only rest when I found my brother. Ruth nodded understandingly. Did Damo say where he was going? No, he seemed in a hurry. Whatever he was doing, Ruth said, adding, Who is your brother? Slothiel, he responded, feeling his stomach clench. He either was killed or captured. Ruth's eyes widened as she bowed. A prince in my house, she exclaimed. Copper lifted his head and huffed at the noise. She gave him a look, and he drooped his head to his paws again. Kordok lifted his hands, motioning for her to stand. I cannot let others know who I am, so please keep my secret. And your bowing is unnecessary. It is I who should bow to you. A prince, Ruth trailed off. I'm sorry to hear of your highness's brother. I hope the best. Thank you for your hospitality, Kordok said respectfully, grabbing a sword from beside the bed. And I do believe my brother is alive. Why should I tell Dana? What should I tell Damos? Ruth said, realizing he was leaving. Surely you need more time to heal? She questioned. No need to worry about it. I'll find him, he said, before lifting his hand as a sign of respect. May your fire always bring you warmth. Ruth stood stunned, suddenly alone in her house. She turned to see the bag of gold still sitting on the table. He left it, she smiled. If he ain't, isn't a dairy cow. 
She sat down in her chair, thinking of how lucky she was to have met him. Salafiel and Jacobin, she said, realizing she didn't know his name. Or was it Kordok, she said, shaking her head. Copper began to snore softly as she tended to the mess made by the bandages. Kordok strolled through the village of Clipper. It was small, with only a few shops around the town square, but he could sense a feeling of warmth and kindness that was unexplainable. He smelled the odor of the smoking meat and the sharp scent of pine sap. His mouth watered. If he had more time, he would have liked to spend the day there, but he knew there was no time for delay. Where should I start, he said out loud. He looked around the trail that went through the village. Trees surrounded the village, much of it looking the same to him. He noticed a few villagers cutting logs. Despite the looks he was given, he trod into the forest until he reached a dense covering of woods that made it hard for anyone to see him. There was an opening in the top. That way he could fly upward and view the landscape undetected. The change to Dragon was easier this time. He flew into the air, enjoying the feeling of the wind. He flew high within a few seconds and began to glide in an attempt to not make much noise, lest he spook the people within. He soared into the azure sky and tilted his shoulder, angling his wings to coast on the wind current. He had seen birds do it. A weird scratching feeling came into his gullet. A running noise rutting noise came out of his throat as he attempted to clear it. It was only resulted in him getting more choked. He tried to swallow, but he felt whatever was coming out of his maw. Blue fire surrounded him. He was now accustomed, consumed, but he, he was not consumed, but he felt his consciousness take him somewhere else. He looked around. He was no longer in the sky, but at an old prison. He watched as Tanims ran along the, the walls, evading a bronze dragon that roared and spat flames. There was a giant hole in the top of the ancient prison. The dragon strained against its restraints and flapped furiously into the air, violently whipping its tail to and fro. Slothiel? Kordok asked, confused. Neither the dragon nor Tanim seemed aware of him. Kordok could not move a muscle as he watched the fight ensue. Flame and claw tore through tree and stone. Kordok's throat began to itch again, and his vision faded in and out. He squinted and thought he saw himself running towards the, the prison. What? He said, perplexed. The images tore away from him like paper. And once again, he was gliding above the trees above Clipper. What? He said louder and not sure what had happened. He floated down slowly, landing in an open area. His scales rubbed against the trees, ripping the bark off of them. He changed back to human form and looked around the sunspots in his vision, blinking until they disappeared. He needed to figure out what the meaning of this was, or whatever this vision was. He turned back to the direction of Clipper. Maybe someone there could help him. At least it would be a start. I wonder if there is an old prisoner on here, he thought, as he walked back to the village.